Hello. You are listening to a preview version of a premium episode of Blocked and Reported. What you're going to hear is part of a segment about the ongoing Jamie Reed controversy, this whistleblower at a youth gender clinic in St. Louis. What you won't hear is Katie telling me about the latest and greatest updates to the Rebecca Jones story in Florida. You're also going to miss out on some pretty crazy ant talk involving Ian Miles Chong and Arthur Chu. If you don't want to miss that stuff, go to blockedandreported.org, where you can become a primo and get this and other content. Either way, hope you enjoy the preview. All right. So the Free Press publishes the latest alleged bombshell in the ongoing debate about the Washington University Transgender Center. This is where whistleblower Jamie Reed uh, has come forward and said that the Transgender Center delivered subpar care, rushed kids onto blockers and hormones. Unfortunately, this has quickly just become another hyperpolarized issue. Uh, Republicans, including those investigating it, uh, this in Missouri, think she's right. Liberals think she's a liar or crazy, blah, blah, blah. We've been we've been through the basics. You can check out our previous episodes on this. But this latest uh, article was interesting. It was by Emily Yaffe, and it was headlined, I felt bullied. Mother of child treated at transgender center speaks out. Subheadline. She was told medical intervention would help relieve her 14-year-old psychological distress. That's not what happened. So Caroline, that's the mom's name, uh, said that after she read Jamie Reed's story about the Transgender Center, this is the, the first person account she published in the free press that kicked all this off alongside her uh, sworn affidavit, Caroline said she recognized her own experiences there. She eventually reached out to Vernadette Broyles, one of Reed's lawyers, and Broyles apparently put her in touch with the free press. And who is this lawyer? I assume that she's uh, conservative. Yeah. So part of what makes this complicated is like, yeah, Vernadette Broyles is like a serious conservative lawyer. And my sense is, not knowing the backstory, that if you're someone like Jamie Reed, um, if you're a detransitioner or you're a parent who doesn't think this treatment's right or you think your kid's been mistreated, I don't think you're going to find a lot of support among liberals, especially at the moment. It seems like if you're like a liberal lawyer in good standing, you would have nothing to gain from taking up a case like this, even if you thought the merits were solid. Do you think that's fair to say? I think that's fair to say. Uh, when I've talked to detransitioners who are interested in pursuing legal action against their clinicians because they think that they weren't properly assessed, if they can find a lawyer, the lawyer is undoubtedly going to be conservative. Liberals won't touch this. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think that's fair to say. So... And it's frustrating because then people will like accuse Jamie Reed of being associated with conservative lawyers, but like, I don't know. Um, what is she supposed to do? What are detransitioners supposed right. to do? Most people can't afford good legal representation. Um, although again, I don't I don't quite know the arrangement here, but I, I think that's why she has conservative lawyer or, or lawyers. Uh Okay, so the one thing that makes this story interesting is that Yaffe talked to both the mom, Caroline, and the kid. Um, in the story, the kid is named Casey. We now know the kid's name is Alex for reasons we'll get to. The Free Press refers to the kid as Caroline's son. Caroline sees Alex as her son. Alex identifies as non-binary now. I'm going to use they... I find people often get hung up and get mad at you one way or another in a case like this where there's disagreement, so... You know, I'm using they as like a courtesy to Alex. That's how Alex identifies. I'm not by using they. I'm not saying that like as soon as a kid identifies one way, that's the end of the story, and there can't be any discussion. I don't think anyone could accuse us of that. But just we're going to go with they. Katie, are you comfortable with that? Am I triggering you because you 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 really dislike NB so much? 
I really do dislike that pronoun. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call Alex Alex. I'm going to avoid this entirely by only referring to Alex by Alex's name. This will completely derail things, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't control you. Uh, you're, I'm a you're centrist. A real, you're a real Rebecca Jones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, this is an issue you face if you report on youth gender issues, particularly the subset of parents who are skeptical about putting their kids on youth gender medicine. Um, this question of like differences in opinion between moms, it's usually moms uh, and kids, and it's tricky. And oftentimes the the parents like. It, you don't have access to the kids. You can't get their side of it. So in this case, Yafi did talk to the child as well. And as we'll see, things eventually got complicated. But Katie, like as a journalist, how do you how do you approach a situation where the parent has strong feelings that their kid is caught up in a trend or there's social contagion, but for whatever reason, you can't talk to the kid directly? Do you think reporting on a parent like that should just be off the table until you can get the kid's side of it? I mean, do you think that parents should only talk about their experience if the kid is also weighing in? No, I think it's a little bit tricky because you just can't know for sure if the parent is like describing what they're seeing accurately any more than if you interviewed a 12-year-old without interviewing their parents, you wouldn't know if the 12-year-old is. I sort of think both sides of it are important. I do think parents like know their kids and this assumption that you see from a surprising number of progressives that if parents disagree that their kid is going to be trans in the long term or should go on hormones or like automatically a monster. I think that's bad. I just, I think it's genuinely tricky because in a lot of these cases, there's real strife between parent and child. And because of that, the parent, you know, doesn't want to potentially inflame things by having opening the kid up to a interview with the journalist. But anyway, this was a different kind of story because Emily did have access to the kid. So Caroline and Alex tell Emily Offie this story that starts when Alex is 13. Alex discovers trans identities online and declares themselves to be gender fluid. So here's a quote from Alex describing how being genderqueer felt at the time. Quote, This means that my gender changed based on the day. Then it got to the point where I was never feeling masculine or like a boy. So Alex is gender fluid for about six months. Then, quote, I decided that I was a fully transgender girl. Like I wanted to present as a girl and I wanted people to see me as a girl. So I started to socially transition. I was going by a different name and using she, her pronouns, end quote. That lasted a few more months, the article notes, until, quote, I started to lean more kind of in between. I didn't identify as a girl as much, but I did not see myself as a boy, so I identified as non-binary, which is what I am today, end quote. Okay, so we know that Alex was put on puberty blockers. How did how did that happen? So Alex, you know, like a lot of kids, starts doing their own research. Um, also, Alex's dad thinks counseling might help because Alex is having some mental health problems uh, alongside their questions about their identity. Sends... Uh, the dad sends Alex to the transgender center, uh, I guess with the mom's permission from Yaffe quote, Alex arrived at the center with the agenda of stopping his puberty from progressing end quote. Um, there's a discussion during a family meeting with the clinic psychologist who favors putting Alex on puberty blockers. But Caroline, she feels pressure to go that route, even though she doesn't quite understand how things have gone this fast or what the point is of putting Alex on blockers. Cause she's not going to approve hormones. Like she's already decided. Caroline shares custody of Alex with Alex's dad and is the only one in the room at this meeting who doesn't agree that Alex should go on blockers. So initially, her view wins out. But two months later, she gets a call from a nurse at the transgender center uh, trying to encourage her to say yes to blockers. So this is a very important quote from Caroline we'll have to come back to. 
Alex was about to turn 15 and I didn't know what to do. He had been struggling with depression and anxiety and they were saying the reason why is because he feels like he's not in the right body. And I thought, if this is going to make him happy, let's just give it a try. The worst he would be doing is stopping his hormones. It can be taken out and puberty will take place like it was supposed to, end quote. So that's what happens. Um, Let's pause in the story here for a minute. We know Alex had the implant put in when they were 14, like almost 15, and that this all started when they were 13. So by my count, their identity shifted three times during the ages of 13 and 14. Like this is going to be pretty early in puberty. So they go from cisgender to gender fluid, from gender fluid to trans girl, and then from trans girl to non-binary. No one disputes this part of the story. It doesn't seem like the transgender center saw this as any sort of red flag prior to putting Alex on like a powerful medical treatment that is now considered by multiple European countries to require a huge amount of caution before prescribing. Am I right that it's like a little bit weird they didn't see that as a red flag? I mean, this to me seems like it would be a huge red flag. But of course, I don't work at a gender center where I think the assumption is probably that this is fairly normal. Probably a lot of their patients come in with these very uh, shifting identities. Yeah, I mean, so this is the claim from parents who think their kids have so-called rapid-onset gender dysphoria, that if a kid suddenly comes out as trans in adolescence and their identity is shifting around a lot, you should be very cautious about putting them on, you know, something that could have permanent effects. And puberty blockers can have permanent effects. Well, and not just that, like the fact that not just the, the permanent effects, which are real, despite the fact that lots of people want to deny that they're not, they're reversible. That's the line that's that's stated. The other thing is that puberty blockers, because... A lot of kids have some, you know, they have some sense of unease with their body when they when they hit puberty. And it is going through puberty that leads to the resolution of that unease, that dysphoria. But if you're not going through puberty, you're not going to go through that process. That, that, I mean, that's what yeah. happened to me, going through puberty, getting my period, immensely, immensely distressing. But going through that process, I became okay with my body, but I had to go through that process. Which which does suck for us because we would make more money if you'd been less okay with your body, but but here we are. If I if I were a trans person, I would make it my life to fucking destroy you, Jesse. <laughs> um so I might still, you never know. We're not just speaking out of our asses here as much as we love to do that. This is also like if you look at at the evidence we have, which is scant from places like the Dutch clinic, the famous Dutch clinic that pioneered the puberty blocking approach the whole idea was that you don't do this unless a kid has like a very stable identity that survives some degree of scrutiny, like compassion. Starting scrutiny. from a young age. Yeah. There's not there's, appearing at the age of 13. No, they, did, they would not have put any kid on blockers who was in a situation like this. So I just want to highlight that there's an element of fairly profound bullshit here because a lot of advocates for these treatments have been saying that you're an ignorant bigot. If you claim that clinicians are putting kids on blockers or hormones without a ton of prior thought, like um, this is just one example of many, but here's close friend of the podcast, Caitlin Burns in Vox in 2020, quote, transitioning is a slow, deliberative process for minors and only adolescents who are insistent, persistent, and consistent in their gender identity. That's the catchphrase over long periods are recommended for medical intervention. What she's describing is probably true for like Dutch kids in 2012 or whatever, but in an American context, this is bullshit. 
Um, I could have told you that at the time. And since then, Reuters has done a good job showing how many youth gender clinics in the States will put kids on blockers or hormones after one visit. But it's interesting to learn more about how these clinics practice at the level of an individual kid. We don't know the details, but we absolutely know enough based on Alex's own testimony to know that they were not insistent, persistent, and consistent. And we have almost no data on kids who are put on blockers without a fairly comprehensive assessment beforehand. Like, uh, the sturdiest data we have comes from the Dutch, who only, again, only put kids on blockers if they really felt this way for a long time. And then the Tavistock Clinic, which supposedly followed a similar approach, but was actually quite sloppy, actually failed to replicate those findings. And Tavistock is is a clinic in the UK. in the UK that got shut down um, because of, yeah, you should, folks should listen to my interview with Hannah Barnes or better yet, read her book. She's a BBC correspondent who um, was all over this scandal that largely involved putting kids on blockers and hormones much too quickly. Um, on top of all this, uh, there's no data on non-binary kids going on blockers or hormones. So my argument in short is that like when the transgender center, or another clinic puts a kid like Alex on puberty blockers, it's an experiment. That's the only word for it. And I was resistant to using that word because it's seen as inflammatory, but I've sort of run out of reasons not to. Like, point me to one decent study of puberty blockers that applies to a kid like Alex who comes out in adolescence and whose identity is shifting every few months. Um, and an experiment might actually be too kind a word for this because, like, as far as we know, the transgender center isn't collecting any data or tracking any outcomes. So, I don't know. I have no clue what's going on here, but it's sort of baffling to me that everyone is okay with this. I I think it could just be the sheer heat of the culture wars and the threat of this clinic being shut down that forces folks to rush to the clinic's defense. Do you think that's what's going on? Well, yeah. I mean, and the fact that this was published in the free press and people who don't like Barry Weiss, they don't like Emily Yaffe, they think that they're transphobic, are going to assume that because of where this was published and because the parents... Alex's mom, uh, you know, didn't want her kid to go on blockers in the first place that the mom is a bigot. Yeah. It's just, it's team sports. It's team sports. So back to the free press story, the puberty blockers don't help. According to Caroline, they lead to a major downturn in Alex's mental health. Quote, within a semester, Alex went from all A's and B's to a report card dotted with D's and F's. Many days he found it impossible to get out of bed. He missed so much school that it triggered an official meeting about his truancy that included a circuit court judge. He gained more than 30 pounds. Uh, They also had to, uh, Alex also had to be briefly checked into the psychiatric ward at uh, Children's Hospital in St. Louis for suicidality. And they were put on drugs to treat their depression and anxiety. Um, Caroline claims that no one at the clinic was even open to the possibility that the blockers were the culprit, even though it's known that in some cases that can be a side effect of puberty blocking is worsening mental health and even suicidality. So Caroline, the mom, she goes to various lengths to get the implant removed, but Alex's dad is against that. So she fails. Uh, It's still in as of now, but it's scheduled to come out in July. Yaffe writes, quote, Alex is resigned to the removal and normal puberty restarting. He says of his mother's position, quote, her concerns are valid, end quote. This includes, he says, quote, the possibility that the hormone blockers have affected my mental health because my mental health has decreased a lot since then, end quote. So that's the original version of the story. It ends there with Yaffe leveling a lot of criticisms at the clinic for sloppy practice. Um, Then... Alex pops up on Twitter and an absolutely gigantic shitstorm ensues. Here's what they write in a tweet storm. The first tweet of which. 
that's it. That's all you're getting. If you want to hear the rest of this segment and stuff about Rebecca Jones and Ants and Ian Miles Chong and Arthur Chu, go to blockedreport.org. Thank you for listening.